Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, with our latest episode, our one-on-one interview with Swansea City defender Ben Wilmot, we reached the 10-episode mark, but you'll be glad to hear there are no signs of letting up. Uh, I'd just like to open today's pod by saying thanks to everyone who has subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, followed us on Spotify, or, or listened to any of the episodes in general. Um, just like to say thank you to, to everyone who's engaged with it. Uh, we love putting them together. Uh, we hope that you enjoy listening to them too. And we're going to continue to do so. Uh, as ever, I am Joe Donahue, your host. And today's episode has somewhat of an Italian theme to it. Uh, I'm delighted to be able to be joined by a fellow podcaster and scouted veteran, Matt Santangelo. Uh, Matt is co-host of the State of Play pod, which covers all things in Europe's top five leagues. But he's also a fantastic writer if you haven't checked out his profiles in any of the scouted football handbooks as well. Um, he's written bits and pieces for Guardian Sport, uh, AS Roma's English site, and for the International Champions Cup as well. So quite a, quite a rap sheet there for you, Matt. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, Joe, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Of course, you know, I've been uh, a, a longtime fan of the Scouted Football Project in general from when it really just, you know, was doing articles and then had the, uh, the digital handbooks to now being involved with all four volumes um, in the print copy. It's uh, it's an honor and it's it's obviously an honor to continue to expand my uh, CV and, and, and join the podcast here. Yeah, it's great to have you on, and you know you've got your your Italian football expertise in tow that we're we're definitely going to delve into uh, a bit more in this podcast. Um, just touching on what you said there about about the scouted football handbooks, um, I am right in thinking that your involvement with scouted goes way back. Uh, that you you've had profiles in every issue since the first ebook version in 2016. Yes, I think the first profile I did, if I'm correct, it's it's been a while, but uh, I believe it was on Frank Kessia, and then I think the the volume after that I did, I believe it was seven, eight, nine player profiles on players of Coutrone, Patrick Schick, uh, Calabria, Conti, um, you know, several players in Serie A, predominantly uh, David Kalnaski, who was at Samp, now he's in, uh, I, I believe, in uh, Dusseldorf, if I'm correct, in the Bundesliga. I'm not entirely, entirely sure where he's kind of headed at now. But yeah, it's it's been a long journey with the Scouted Football Project. And it's it's wonderful to finally see the project get into the print form. And for me to have that involvement in all four editions is truly an honor. Yeah, just uh, just going back to, to those four uh, print editions from this year. Um, volume one, you uh, profiled uh, Chingis Under, uh, obviously at AS Roma. Uh, volume two, Christoph Piontek. Uh, and volume three, Lucas Paqueta, uh, at both at AC Milan. Uh, and then in the newly released uh, volume four, uh, you uh, had Hamid Junior Traore. Uh, I mean, just feel free to to get your teeth into any one of those players um, and, and kind of just tell everyone about what they're all about, really. I'll start with Chingis Under because I think he's been somewhat of a forgotten player um, over the past what, year and a half, if I would say, at, at Roma. He kind of burst onto the scene. He had some great goals once he came over from Turkey. And, you know, everyone kind of expected him to kind of just continue to blossom and to continue to take the next steps. And, you know, like we've seen with many other players at Roma in the past, be sold for a substantial profit, right? But, of course, he's had some injury battles and he's kind of been in and out of the starting lineup. I still believe in him. I still think he's a player that can make a big impact for Roma this year and moving forward. And it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But with uh, the AC Milan duo, who ironically arrived at the same time in January last year, or well, this this year, shall I say, or 
2019, yeah. So for 2019, they both arrived for 35 million euro and two big uh, acquisitions for Milan under the previous management with Leonardo and you know everything that was going on there. So for me, I think the, obviously Piontek had the great first half of the season at Genoa. He moved over to Milan and he was okay. He kind of tailed off towards the end of last season. And same thing with Paqueta, of course, who's kind of been in and out of the starting lineup this season. And Piontek's had his struggles. So the, those are two players that are going to be uh, definitely closely monitored um, throughout the course of the next year or so. Because I think people and fans still want to get an idea of what they are, what their ceiling ultimately is. And I think one player that uh, and this is getting to the the, the fourth of uh, of the bunch that many people are not too familiar with, but I think they're starting to kind of familiarize themselves with him because of what's going on at his club, Sassuolo. And that's Traore. I think he's a fantastic player. He does so many different things on the pitch in a midfield position to help you win a game. I think he's definitely raw in certain aspects of his game, but he's uh, definitely a player that has that upside and that potential to uh, not only make uh, a significant impact at the club level, but I think on the international level with Ivory Coast. Again, still very raw, still very young, still not quite the finished product to make that next step, that next big career move. But someone who, you know, over the next year or so, if he's kind of, uh, getting those regular reps at at, uh, at Sassuolo, wherever it may be at, uh, I think can grow into a player that can be in the Champions League, which I know is something we talked about um, off the top before we even went live. Uh, is that, that that's the aim for a young player, right? Is the Champions League competitions? It just it ultimately furthers your legacy. It furthers your um, your status in football. So uh, in short, those those four of the players I've been profiled, I have profiled, excuse me, um, in these print editions, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, doing more in the future. Yeah, I mean, as you can probably tell um, from the players that Matt has profiled for us over the years, and exclusively so this year, as he as he's just told us, um, they've all been Serie A based. Um, you do have your finger on the pulse for all things Calcio, um, but I mean, you are you are an AC Milan fan yourself, and of course, Piontek and Paqueta were, were two players there that um, that you'll be, of course, very fond of. Um, just going a little bit deeper into, into the sort of their relationship, you, you know, you said that he tailed off towards uh, the back end of last season, that, uh, Piontek that is. But the, when they first signed in, in January of 2019, they'd struck up quite a partnership in, in, in terms of the, the goals that AC Milan were scoring. Um, and do you think that that's something that they can, they can recapture at any point? And do you think it's something that they could potentially recapture under Stefano Pioli? I do. I, I think, you know, the expectations that we have nowadays of players making that next step of that big move, um, you know, of course, from him, his Piontek, we got to put into perspective the fact that, you know, two years ago he was playing, he was a, no, a non-factor, a no-name player um, around the top five leagues. And all of a sudden he goes to Genoa for a small fee and has that great start. And then he's playing at Milan in, in a season which they really do need to finish top four. And he's replacing Gonzalo Higuain. So, that, that you know, people have to put into perspective the fact that Piontek, in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't even played his two full seasons in Italy, but it still scored almost 35 go- 30 to 35 goals, which is pretty impressive considering the fact that he was at Genoa, a team that's constantly going through managers, and at a Milan who has obviously been notoriously struggling the past, what, six, seven years. So I think Piontek is a player, again, he's at the, the age where we really start to see what type of player he can be. There's certain elements of his game that definitely need to improve, and this is that that air that time of his of his career where it's either put up or shut up and you have to ultimately you have to make those strides forward as a player now otherwise you can run the risk of getting lost in the shuffle because these striker these strikers on the market nowadays they're 
if you don't produce, they have to. You just have to go out there and place them with someone who can get the goals for you. And I think that's the that's you know we're seeing that even you know this January, right, with reports of them getting his lot on Ibrahimovic. How dire that situation is up front for someone who can front that attack. So uh, again, beyond Piontek's situation, I know the fan base is very divided on him at this point in time, especially for the fact that they do again have the links to Ibrahimovic and they really want to get a, a formidable striker to to carry the attack and to really kind of give Milan this mentality back as a powerhouse but you know shifting gears to Paqueta he's uh, he's a fascinating one because I think I've talked to uh, a lot of Brazilian uh, fans of Brazilians uh, who obviously have watched him much more over the years than I have at when he was at Flamengo who say this guy's special he's he's everything every bit is advertised and then you have some people who say I don't think he's the player that many people think he is so i i feel that right now because of how things how difficult things are in milan it's people want results they want to see well, okay pocket 35 million piontex 35 million they want to see the performances that can justify that price tag and i think that's what ultimately puts so much more pressure on a young player which is why i think the decision they made in the summer under gazidis who's been hellbent on really building a young squad here I think they made a mistake in not supporting a lot of those young players in certain areas with that veteran presence. I think every team that has succeeded over the course of history, with the exception of like an Ajax, of course, last year, but even then they had, you know, those veteran players like a daily blend in certain areas that can really help the team in delicate situations. You need those veterans who have done it, been there and done that, who have put on a, a heavy shirt and have you know, effectively won something or achieved something special. And I think that's where Milan are starting to kind of think now heading into this window where if they can get at Ibrahimovic to help uh, ease along Piontek through these difficult moments, help guys like Suso, he'll help other pl- younger players in the squad and help them learn how to play under pressure and at a difficult club like Milan, I think that's, you know, would be would be the best for their careers moving forward for these younger players at least. But, you know, Getting back to Piontek and Paqueta, I think it's still very early to see what type of ceiling they have because I think at the international level, Piontek has produced fairly well for Poland. And the same thing can be said about Paqueta, who when he puts on the Brazil shirt, he's wearing the number 10 shirt. He's playing really well. And this that's the player that Milan want to see. Um, so uh, I definitely just want to keep an eye on them over the past over the next you know handful of months, the rest of the season, because I think these months are going to be very pivotal for their career moving forward. Uh, you were mentioning there that uh, you feel like Milan didn't have sort of those those more senior figures with with the more experience that could help ease in the younger players and um, help them transition to to the top level football um, in, in in Italy in, in one of Europe's top five leagues. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because Milan have, this season have given the most minutes of any Serie A side uh, to under twenty threes. Why, why do you think that is? I think the reason why they're going that route is because in previous years, really since, if you recall, the once the old guard retired, the Gattusos, the Sedors, the Ambrosinis, Nesta, Zambrota, and then of course Silva and Ibrahimovic were sold, they've made some very bad investments on players on the decline, players with high contracts because they were in a position where, well, if they want you know, those types of players to join the club, they're going to have to pay a little bit extra because you can't entice them with the objectives of a Champions League trophy or a, a, a Serie A title like some other teams can, right? So I think if you look at you know the history or the buildup to where we are right now with this current Milan project, is I think now they're in a position where they're trying to make up for lost time, right? If you look at some of the players that they do have on the books, 
they're not getting paid that much, right? With the exception, of course, of Donnarumma, who has been making $6 million for the past couple of years since he had that restructuring of his contract under uh, with Mina Raiola and that whole fallout in the summer. But there's a lot of players that, you know, they're making, you know, $1.5, $2 million per year versus, you know, what we see at clubs like Juve or Napoli where these players, it seems like, are making four, five, six, seven each, right? So I think that's kind of been the model and ultimately the um, – the, the best way for them to kind of stay within that financial fair play, um, you know, situation that they're currently, that they have been in the previous years where they have to toe the line. They have to make sure that they're not just splashing the money at players and taking on bad contracts and players that really don't have a long future at this club. I think with Gazidis and his approach in mind is that he's thinking, well, if I can get guys like Leao and guys like Kessia to produce to the, to the, to their potential at, at worst case, I can flip them for a profit and make that money down the road. And at that point in time, when Milan hopefully are, are in a much uh, you know, solidified situation, then I can make that, that big investment. I can, play the, I can pay the big-time players to help me you know, progress the project forward, to help compete for a, a, league, a league trophy, you know, make, those headway, make that headway in the Champions League, a, a tournament that Milan is synonymous with. So I think that's where it's kind of their mindset has been. And I'm not saying it's a, the wrong mindset. I just think, again, if you're in a situation where your goal is to finish top four, if you look at any of the teams that have finished or are in this conversation for finishing top four, I mean, Roma, Lazio, even Atalanta has some veterans in certain years, like Apapu Gomez, Iliacic, Duran Zapata's 27-28. Like, you need those sorts of players to help guide a young squad through a season because there's going to be struggles. There's going to be situations where, you know, players, they're not scoring, they're not producing, they're going through a delicate stage and they don't have someone to kind of, you know, guide them through and take them under the wing and say, hey, like this is what we need to do. This is how we got to get through this difficult situation. Milan's you know, last uh, title-winning campaign in the 2010-2011 season, I mean, you look at the players they had. They had, yes, like guys like Pato, who was a young player. They had young players in certain areas, but they had Robinho, Cassano. They had Ibrahimovic, Nesta. Like, you look at the players, Abiati, Sedorf, the list goes on and on. So I think they have to really focus on a blending that youth with those senior players to help, you know, transition into a more um, what hopes to be as a Milan fan. And I know many Milan fans who will be listening to this would agree with me a, an era, which Milan fans can be proud of. And it's something that they can kind of, you know, get some confidence in and have some hope in that, you know, they, there is light at the end of the tunnel and they can be back in the conversation as one of the, uh, the European elites. Yeah, I mean, you, you speak at length there about sort of the, the the more intricate issues, and I suppose it does come down to you know the likes of Gazidis and and the likes of good business management and and the the, the restructuring of the club's age pyramid essentially. Um, I, I mean, from from the summer we saw um, from the youth sides a handful of players feature at the International Champions Cup. Um, one of which was was Daniel Maldini, uh, son of Paolo. I mean, do you anticipate him perhaps getting a look into the first team action uh, anytime soon, or or is it more likely that he'll have to wait? I think the Maldini, uh, it's 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 something that's always going to kind of be closely monitored and closely looked at, right? Because he carries that last name. So, uh, you know, and and given the fact that we all know the 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 dynasty, the royal family that is the Maldini family, and the success they've had, you know, spanning, you know, dating back to Cesare Maldini as a player for Milan and and as a coach to Paolo and his twenty five years of service for Milan and everything he's accomplished, they're looking for the next Maldini to kind of step into that Milan shirt, pull it on and kind of take it in stride. But I think it's, this is such a difficult moment and a, a period where 
you know, it's not really the most optimal for a young player to thrive. I think if you were to bring in a guy like Daniel, a kid like Daniel Maldini and expect him to play a prominent role, I think it could be a very uh, detrimental to his growth and his confidence. I think, you know, the good thing about this is the fact that Maldini is making decisions for the club. So I think that's ultimately they're going to you know, put him in a position where he's able to best succeed and not be thrusted into a position where people are going to ex- demand and expect so much of him to, because when you wear that shirt and you know, it, it, they're not going to eat, the fans won't ease up on you, especially now with the social media era, with the, the, the situation being a, as dire as it is, they want results, whether you're a Maldini, whether you're some, you know, Joe Schmo off the street that com- that comes in, that's a no name that has no link to the club. They want results. They want to be back to where they should be. And I think right now, it's probably not the best time for Milan to be kind of, you know, pushing him through the system and forcing him just to kind of maybe sell tickets, you know, you know, get headlines and get attention back on Milan. Um, you know, in previous years, like I said, you know, they've been, uh, you know, they really haven't had much of a choice in bringing through a lot of those Primavera players like Donnarumma, Andre Mihalovic, Locatelli, Cutrone, David Calabria. Like they've, those are players that, you know, have grown in the system over the years to have had pretty good first team careers. Although again, of course, Cutrone and Locatelli are gone and there's rumors of Davide Calabria being sold and we don't really don't know what the future holds for Gianluigi Donnarumma. So I, I feel that it's, it's been a difficult situation for youth to grow. And I think that's kind of ultimately what's stunted the growth of some of their youth players, you know, bar Donnarumma, who plays um, in a different position, of course, in goalkeeper, which is much more different than, you know, any, any outfield player, a striker like Cutrone, a midfielder like Locatelli, who both those two players have shown uh, the capabilities of being, you know, pillar players for Milan. But it's quite clear that, you know, at some point in time, you can't just can strictly rely on youth to carry an entire project forward. And I think, you know, if you date back to all the successful eras of Milan as a club, you know, they've had, again, that healthy blend of, of winners, champions, yes, but players who have come through the system and have that Milan DNA embedded in them. So, you know, for me, I, I just look at having, I just look at Milan and the dynamic as a club, and I think that's ultimately the best direction for them to go moving forward. And, you know, aside from even just Primavera players like a Daniel Maldini, who I hope can make headway and eventually star for the first team, you know, they have players who are young, and I do envision myself as being, um, you know, fundamental moving forward. Guys like Ismail Benacer is is one who's you know, has been a featured uh, player in the uh, Scottish Football Handbook. You know, Rafael Leao is another one. You have Teo Hernandez, who's who's made headway, who's done really good things this year. Um, offensively, at least he needs to improve on the defensive end. So the pieces are there, and they're starting to take shape for Milan. But I think in time, you're you're really going to start to see that ultimately Milan are going to need that next caliber player um, to ultimately take them back to being, um, you know, a top four team regularly. Yes, but also a team that can compete in Europe. Exactly. I mean, just coming back to your point about, you know, the expectation that could be on the shoulders of such a young player, for example, someone like Daniel Maldini, you know, Milana sitting in mid table at the moment. That's obviously not the position that that they want to be in or the other or the supporters want to be in. Um, and you know, young players and, and their rawness that can often be exploited by by the opposition. Um, that that can often be scapegoated by fans. And you know, you mentioned the social media aspect. So yeah, I, I totally share your share your views there and, and the sentiment that yes, while they are exciting young players, and while they may be burgeoning talents in the Primavera sides, then 
perhaps now isn't the isn't the correct time to, to blood them or to to really put too much um, expectation on, on their ability. Um, just staying with uh, Milan, just for one last question. Um, do you think that Stefano Pioli is the is the manager to sort of get the best out of what is predominantly, as as you've as you've said, a, a very young squad? It's hard to say because I think you know we've seen um, you know, in pre- previous managers have these spells where they do look good with these young players, right? There's something that is uh, it, that it takes something special from a manager to kind of tap into this young this youth potential and to ultimately have it transmitted onto the pitch, right? I think you know in previous years Milan were forced in the into a position where they had to play youth, right? Because again, they couldn't, you know, for whatever reason, they couldn't splash the money on a big time striker or lure a big time striker. So what they do, they got Kutrona and he scored some pretty big goals for them um, over the course of his short career at the club. Then you look at the midfield with Locatelli, right? So he scored that amazing goal against Juve, that match winner. And people are thinking, man, Milan have something. They have the regista for the future. And Locatelli, he's at Sassuolo right now. So I, I think, you know, getting back to your question is whether or not Stefano Pioli is the right guy to do this. I think it's just it's too early to tell. I think right now the expectations uh, for Pioli are that he can be somewhat of a transitional type coach in the sense that you know, he can help Milan navigate through, again, another difficult situation in the season where uh, they weren't expecting or anticipating or, you know, banking on Giampaolo having such a rough start. Um, and that the fact that they've had to once again you know, go back to the drawing board and, and pull out another manager that's really not optimal for the long term of this project. I think it's something that you can't really you know, kind of hang your hat on and saying, well, Pioli's done some pretty good things. Is he the right guy moving forward? I think for me, if you ask any Milan fan who's kind of been closely watching the club over the course of this difficult era, they would tell you that they're not really so much sold on Pioli as a long term solution. I think in the short term, helping you know, some of these youth players wrong and some of these players have that um, that growth year to year that they so desperately need. I think Pioli is the right manager for that because I think the expectations with him coming in were so low that I think that he only can do is impress. He can only do is, hey, hey, I did this. I hey, did that. I, I helped this player come along and I helped, you know, this player, you know, grow into a, a world-class player, you know? So I think that's really ultimately what the, kind of the bar is for Milan fans with Pioli. Having said that, I think Look, there's not a ton of youth players that I can anticipate coming through into this first team, um, you know, for, at least from the pre- Primavera, of course, um, and, and making an impact. I think the squad that we see right now, uh, with the exception, of course, of maybe an Ibrahimovic or some of the other players that come in January, uh, I think what you see with this squad is what ultimately Pioli is going to have to work with. And I think the, based off the, the results he's able to get or not get, that will ultimately kind of determine whether or not the, the ownership itse- themselves believe that Pioli is a guy that they would consider giving him another season. Because remember, Gattuso came in, replaced Montella after they spent you know, 220, 240, 250 million. And I don't believe anyone anticipated Gattuso being uh, more than a six-month manager. He was extended till 2021 because he did such a good job. And then last year, he finished one point um, from the top four and he was sacked. So I think, the, the, again, given how dire the situation is, given how much pressure it is um, on this this club to be back to where they once were, I think ultimately it's going to be one of those things where the expectations have to be a little bit loosened, a little bit more uh, realistic. Um, and with that in mind as a Milan fan, I just uh, think that Pioli is doing a good job. I think for a lot of the younger players in this squad, and I know we'll probably talk about some of the players as well, but 
Um, and we have talked about some of them, of course, with guys like Ray, uh, Rafael Leao and Paqueta specifically. I think a lot of those younger players who maybe have thrived in less pressurized situations, um, it can be difficult to transition to a big club like Milan. And sometimes you tend to overcomplicate matters and overcomplicate uh, over your style of play. Uh, and that's what I've seen from a guy like Leao, who has obvious potential, obvious ability that we saw at Lille last year. But in certain moments, he gets into the proper position, but he you know, opts for the back heel like Paqueta, or he opts for the more silky, sexy move instead of simplifying his game, making the right smart decision in that moment to ultimately help better the team. And I think that's what we have to see from those two players and a lot of the un- younger players as a whole is kind of simplify things. And I think that's what Pioli has done a great job with so far. And I'm hoping to see more of that moving forward because obviously with the results and the performances, it's uh, definitely paying dividends. Well, AC Milan at the time of recording, uh, their their last result was a 3-2 win over Bologna. And and going from one manager to another, uh, from Stefano Pioli to Sinisa Mihailovic, um, I mean, the, his is a story and, and Bologna's is a story of the season in Serie A, even though we're only 15, 16 games in. Um, Sinisa Mihailovic was was diagnosed uh, with leukemia in July, uh, but has remained manager uh, throughout his treatment. Um, and and as a result, Bologna really have, have, have drummed up this 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 tremendous team spirit. Um, th- there was an instance after the four three win over Brescia uh, in September, I think it was, uh, where they they stopped their team coach outside uh, Mihailovic's hospital room to chant his name while he was undergoing chemotherapy. And I think that's one of been one of my favourite storylines from from the, the world of football from this season. I mean, the the things that uh, that Mihailovic has done to you know to to get back on on onto the touchline in recent weeks, you know, it's a very inspirational story. And f- from a pure footballing perspective, Bologna have been one of the more entertaining teams to watch this season. And I think Matt, you'll you'll attest to that as well. Um, with Milan winning three two and quite a, quite a tight game um, uh, in in the last round of fixtures, um, there tends to be lots of goals in their games. Um, and they've got a lot of exciting players as well. I mean, just one one guy that I wanted to to speak with you about um, was the the newly capped Italian international uh, Riccardo Orsolini. Um, he's he's been one of their main men. Um, in terms of output, he's only been involved in around six or seven goals, I think. Um, but his his influence on on how Bologna play and how they attack uh, in in sort of a very direct and aggressive style. Um, stretching the play and then cutting inside as he does so well. He's he's certainly a player that, first of all, deserves his recent Italy call-up and will be one who'll be looking at Roberto Mancini and, and saying, you know, make a decision f- ahead of Euro 2020. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm coming here on the back of, you know, two reasonably good seasons in a in a mid-table Serie A side. I'm, I'm going to force you to make a decision. I mean, Matt, just, just wanted to get your thoughts on on, on Orsolini, um, but also Bologna. From, from when you've seen them this season, what type of, of team do you, do you think they've, they've been? And do you think that's been sort of influenced by the likes of Orsolini? I think Bologna are one of many clubs in Italy who, um, you know, it, it's, t- it's really difficult to gauge what type of quality team they are based off just by looking at the table, right? Because I think one of the biggest things that I found fascinating was a couple of years ago with Benevento. Um, you know, Benevento under, of course, they had such a difficult season. They, of course, they had that 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 crazy, um, you know, goal. The goalkeeper scored the header to get to, to spoil. I believe it was Gattuso's first game in charge, right? The two-two result at home. But Benevento were a team that finished bottom of the table. They got relegated, and they were kind of an afterthought. But 
that they were one of those teams where if you look at some of the performances they played throughout the entire season, like they played some tightly contested games and they had so much misfortune that it's hard to kind of gauge what type of season they had based off the table, right? Because we're so fixated on positioning and what teams are meeting their objectives and which teams aren't. And I think Bologna are one of those cases where, you know, they're a team of fighters. They kind of take after their manager, right? Who managers, who's coached everywhere in Italy. He's a warrior-like player. The, 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 the guy you saw on the pitch as a player, you're seeing him off the pitch. And, you know, I have a certain attraction to Mihalovic as, uh, as a fan of Milan when he was the coach because, you know, I, I visited the San Siro for a Milan derby. That was the 3-0 uh, victory over Inter. But, of course, Alex Niang and Baka scoring the, scoring the goals. And, ironically, that was the last time that Milan actually defeated Inter in a Serie A derby. So for me, he kind of delivered that experience to me. And for me to see him back on the touchline, coaching, you know, the, the fans gravitating towards him, you know, really, you know, wider football gravitating towards him and his story and his, 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 his courage and his strength in such a difficult moment. I think it, 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 it's only something that you can be admiral about, something that you could only, uh, you know, be, uh, you know, uh, passionate about and some appreciative of because I think it's something that's transmitted onto this Bologna team who I mentioned they're not going to be a team that scores with some of the other top clubs in Italy. They're not going to have so much star power, but they're going to have a team that's unified. They're going to have a team that plays for their manager. And when you have a lot of players who maybe aren't stars, you do need in certain areas, those, you know, certain individuals who can pull something out of nowhere. And Orsolini is one of the few that they do have, as you mentioned, um, having that, 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 that recent call up with the Italian national team very much deser- deserved. And it's something that Roberto Mancini has been adamant about. Um, really since he took over the job is making sure that those youth players in the ge- next generation is uh, making headway is making an impact for, for the national team. And, you know, look, you mentioned his, his lack of, not a lack of output, but his lack of contributions in terms of goals and assists. But I think you can argue that, you know, there's a lot that we're maybe not looking at in his game that you can kind of say projects to be uh, something special at a, at a bigger club, right? Because I think with, look at Orsellini, he is a player that, um, has obvious potential, has the ability to, uh, you know, use that left foot, swing in and assist, you know, hit, hit that ball at the far post, cross things in, do all the all the sorts of things you look for in a wide player. But he sometimes tends to fall in love, like many, most young players, um, with an extra dribble or an occasional touch or uh, just a kind of an over overcomplication of matters. And when I look at Orsellini, um, who, again, he really, you know, quickly burst onto the scene a couple seasons ago, um, you know, at Ascoli, Juventus picked him up, then he had a kind of a failed loan spell at Atalanta, which is kind of shocking to me because I know you're, um, you would agree here that Atalanta seems like just the, the right environment for young players to thrive in. But for whatever case is, it seems like he's, you know, has that great fit with Bologna. And, you know, look, I, I don't anticipate him probably being there for that much longer. I think he's a player that, again, in this squad of players who is uh, not exactly star powered, but at the same time has certain certain areas where they can they can hurt you and they can do some things to ultimately make things difficult for you. Orsolini is that shining that shining light, that player with the obvious potential to decide games on his own, and I think it's it's something to watch for the rest of the way to see how he's able to kind of piece things together, kind of mature as a player, and again, you know, you'll take some of that rawness and and kind of become that mature class player that I think many people think he can be. For sure, for sure. I mean, Orsolini is, is one of those players that I've really gravitated to this season. Um, just seeing some of Bologna's games, he just he's very he's a very striking player. Um, you know, six foot tall, right winger. He'll get at you. You you know, he'll get in your face, and ultimately his his end goal is getting that ball from the wing into the box and then causing havoc 
in the way of a shot, a pass, a little flick, something in the way that is going to is going to give nightmares to to the opposition defence. Um, another player at Bologna. Um, who hasn't had as many minutes and and obviously hasn't had uh, as much influence as a consequence is Andreas Skov Olsen, um, who was signed in the summer from FC Nordjylland uh, in Den- in Denmark. Uh, yeah, so he's a he's a Danish teenager who had a very good record for for the under twenty one side um, for, for Denmark and and also impressed at the under twenty one Euros over the summer as well. Um, but yeah, he's also a right winger, so that's perhaps why he hasn't had uh, as many minutes as he may have liked. But Having said that, at, at six million um, it, and at nineteen years old, it's a transfer that represents quite a small risk. And from from seeing his cameo appearances this season, he does look like he has plenty of upside. Um, and and perhaps you know him being drip fed games is not necessarily a bad thing by, uh, by any means. Um, recently scored his, his first uh, Serie A goal in a, in a two one win uh, over Napoli as well. So I think yeah, th- th- even if Orsolini did leave, I think they do not. Not a carbon copy fit, but someone who's very similar in the way that they, at, at a good level, can produce a good level of output, but also have that direct ability to 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 get into the box and you know have a good shot on them and and that sort of thing. I think Andreas Skovolson is is that type of player um, who who could who could complement um, Bologna's Bologna's style. You know, very attacking, very aggressive, very in your face, um, not at all conservative. So moving on and uh, just shifting gears, but staying with the Serie A theme, um, we have had uh, a few requests to have a player of the week feature um, in these podcasts. And we thought that was a very good idea. Um, so thank you for, for sending those in. Um, but Matt, you uh, you have a Serie A based player um, that, you, that you'd like to, to suggest for, for people to watch over the coming weeks. I mean, is that because they've got good fixtures? Is it because they've been in good form or... I mean, tell us tell us all about who the player is, and you know why why we should be keeping an eye on their progress. I think the player that um, you know due in fact for many factors as to why he's not getting the attention he deserves, but I think you know many Chelsea fans will uh, you know will definitely recognize his name. Uh, uh, one of the many to uh, kind of uh, go out on loan and kind of be led astray, and you know, all of a sudden you look down a year down the road and you see, oh, I remember he was a, he was a Chelsea product. Where where what's going on with him? Um, and the name is Jeremy Boga. He's a, a 22-year-old Ivorian international. He previously had some, uh, you know, caps with the the the, the, uh, the younger France teams, but he's been capped by Ivory Coast. A 22-year-old once again, wide player, midfielder. He can play in a couple different roles, but he's been playing mostly out wide under the Jerby this year at Sassuolo. Uh, kind of been, you know, despite being so young, kind of a journeyman uh, individual. Uh, at 22 years old, he's uh, you've been. At Rennes, he's been at Granada, Birmingham City, um, and now he's kind of you know uh, back with back, not back, but he's at Sassuolo here, and uh, it seems as though that Italy's becoming a league for a lot of these uh, rogue uh, you know youth players to kind of you know pick, you know gain some momentum, kind of have some career stability, and then eventually maybe make those big moves. And you know Chelsea as being a team that has so many of these youth players kind of be uh, you know kind of sent out alone, and we really don't know what happens to them. Ola Ana, who's at Torino right now, is another one who had a great year last year. He made a permanent move there. But you know, getting back to Boga here, who's uh, really come to form, come to life this season at Sassuolo. Um, he scored a fantastic goal, chip goal uh, in, in the 2-2 draw with Juventus uh, a couple weekends ago. 
Um, and he's just a player that if you really look at him on the ball, he is very technical. He's very quick. He's very pacey in, in close, tight move in tight areas. He's able to really beat his marker with a great, a great dribble. And, and just, he has that evasive uh, demeanor about him where you can see where he has the upside to be a, a dangerous player, a player who can, you know, both score and assist. I think, you know, his, Goal contributions this year, something like four goals and one assist, maybe don't speak to it so much. In many cases, a similarity between him and Orsolini, where, again, the the numbers don't do him justice, right? I think we've seen so much what Kulisevsky's put up. He's put up the numbers to meet the performances. But Boga's been one of those individuals where if you just watch him on a regular basis, and you you specifically have been watching him the past handful of games— you're starting to see a player who is growing in maturity. He is kind of understanding what he wants to do with the ball. He is passing with purpose. He's his dribbles have meaning, right? You know, we talked so much about the guys like Leao and some of the other under other individuals in world football who have, you know, the the ability to make a player miss. You know, and you know, there's there's several of them. Ismail Asar is another one in the Premier League, which I know you're very familiar with, who when they get on the ball, they have that ability, that game breaker ability to break down a defense, but, you know, sometimes they lack the end product. Sometimes they don't make the most of that, the, all the hard work they did. And Boga, I look as a player who is very sharp. He's very, um, you know, strategic with what he's doing, right? I think if he has one or two guys on him, he understands when he should, you know, make the smart, you know, simple pass to a, an open play, an open teammate. But he also knows when he can take, can confront his marker and he can beat them with a dribble. He's averaging, averaging something like three and a half to four dribbles per game, according to who scored, which again, speaks volumes to the fact that he is very difficult to kind of keep under wraps and keep under control. Um, I, he's a player, you, you know, look throughout the rest of the season. I think, you know, Chelsea fans should kind of keep an eye on because they want to know what players got away, right? What sort of talent, you know, was coming through their system that effectively, for one reason or another, did not make it at the first team in England. So I think Jeremy Boga is a fascinating uh, profile to keep an eye on. He's one of many young players who um, you know, has been you know, you know, making serious headway this season, again, with Kulisevsky being one of the bigger ones. But of course, we can't forget about guys like Jeremy Boga, who um, on a weekly basis you know, are doing a lot of the little things to help a team like Sassuolo kind of stay in the conversation as a mid-table club, a team that is building a really good project and you know maybe doesn't have so much star power uh, in, in the names, but has players who can project to have really good, bright futures down the road. So I think Boga is uh, definitely one to keep an eye on and definitely a player that um, the listeners, regardless of them being Serie A fans or whatever, they should definitely um, you know kind of at least keep tabs on throughout the entire season because I think he's uh, definitely got a lot of potential. Yeah, we saw with uh, Sassuolo's 2-2 draw uh, at uh, Juve the, the other week, um, Jeremy Boga scored a fantastic chip uh, over the one and only uh, Gianluigi Buffon, um, which I think may have uh, alerted a lot of uh, English football fans, um, you know, Chelsea fans, and, and those of Birmingham City where Boga was also on loan, um, that he was still out there, he was still playing in, in Europe's top five leagues. And, and, you know, as Matt says, he's been doing quite well. Um, I mean, my player to watch is probably one who's less obscure, um, one is a player that a lot of people might might know quite well, and it's it's Lorenzo Pellegrini um, at AS Roma, twenty um, three year old. Um, he's a bit of a playmaker, plays in in sort of a transitional between sort of a, a six and an eight. I think he's probably better as an eight. Um, but the reason that I've picked him um, for, as a player to watch over the next few weeks is because he has uh, a few. Favourable fixtures, I'd say, uh, against uh, the likes of Spal and Fiorentina uh, before the Serie A winter break. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about those games and, you know, Spal, 20th in Serie A, bottom of the table. They've only scored nine goals in the league this season. 
it's likely that they're going to give him the room to for him to do what he wants to do from those deep positions, um, sort of like playing balls in behind and that sort of thing. Um, and, and also Fiorentina, I think that that's posed to be a very interesting game um, between those two sides. Um, you know, the battle that he's going to have with with Eric Pulgar, who's been fantastic for Fiorentina this season, and, and Gaetano uh, Castrovilli, um, who has also been uh, sort of a revelation for Fiorentina. I mean, it hasn't necessarily worked out for, for them as a club, but those players in particular have been good uh, in terms of their individual performances. Just moving on, but staying with uh, AS Roma, um, there are a few players that, I mean, who, who myself and Matt are very fond of. Uh, Matt, of course, you, you watched a lot of Roma in, in the run-up to, to writing your profile for, for Cengiz Under. Um, but it's another attacking player that has really hit the headlines uh, since his move from Inter um, in sort of the swap deal that, that was for Raja Nyangolan. Um, it's Nicolo Zaniolo, who has been... Uh, pretty much like a, a revelation for, for Roma because I don't think they expected to get sort of that level of, of player who's ready for, for such rigorous first team action uh, immediately. Uh, but he's proven to be a, a very dependable player when it comes to attacking output. I mean, he's he's not as dependable dependable in other areas. But I mean, Matt, do you want to do you want to talk about maybe Nicolo Zaniolo for, for for a little while and you know what do you specifically like about him and and perhaps dislike? I think Zaniolo is he's a fascinating player. I think you know like he's kind of been somewhat uh, expedited uh, expeditiously, excuse me, kind of thrusted into such a key role, right? You know, I don't think anyone anticipated he was kind of like a throw in in that Raja Nyangland deal, right? And I think everyone thought that Inter were getting the much better deal. They were able to, um, you know get a player who has been one of the better midfielders in Serie A since he was uh, you know, at Cagliari and then made the move to Roma. And they threw a youth product in there that very few player people knew about, right? And then all of a sudden you're looking at this Zaniolo kid and you're like, well, who is this guy? Is he a youth product of Roma? And then you look, he was the throw-in. And I think, you know, so oftentimes we really don't see many of these sorts of formulas uh, take place um, in terms of we don't see really a much of a trade type for, uh, uh, formula in football, right? That's something that's more you know, predominantly kind of, you know, for, for uh, American sports, right? So when you see, you know, Niangle on Santon, Zaniolo in cash, it feels like it's something that out of like a video game. But nevertheless, you know, Zaniolo goes to Roma last year. He's, um, you know, scoring significant goals. He's making you know, a tremendous impact right away. And I think it was something that, you know, was uh, unheard of for a lot of young Italian internationals because, you know, a lot of them have kind of struggled, right? I think, you know, in this, this previous era, uh, of the, the Italian national team and, and more specifically Italian football in general, there have been a lot of uh, young Italian prospects with promise, but eventually kind of tailed off and kind of uh, fell into obscurity. But Zaniolo looks like so far, again, at 20 years old, you know, it's still very young in his career. He looks like a, a real gem, a real top player, a player that who was subject of, uh, of, of a transfer interest last year from clubs like Juventus and, you know, so on and so forth. So, and even Premier League interest, if I'm correct. So I think, you know, that kind of speaks to the type of player he's already quickly becoming. Uh, obviously, he's still uh, in rough in rough around the edges and he still needs to improve uh, specifically. Um, and, and taking less touches, I think, to kind of set up ultimately what he wants to do. I think, you know, he is a player that when he gets into the final third, uh, whether it be as a wide player, whether it be through the middle, he is a player that has an eye for goal. He likes to pick his passes. He can do some do some things um, to ultimately kind of cap off the attacking uh, buildups. But ultimately, I think you would like to see with many other young players uh, across world football is that just kind of having that consistency, right? Having that brain 
meet the defeat and and kind of ultimately putting everything together at the right moment in time. Um, and that's kind of more or less a similar case. You can talk, uh, talk with uh, Justin Clivert, uh, his teammate at Roma, who was uh, a, a big prospect, a big addition for them a couple summers ago under Monchi. Uh, much like the same thing with him. Again, you know, just kind of rounding out your game, knowing when to to uh, you know pull off the the, the the extra dribble, you know, do the extra things to kind of you know create space and time for yourself to ultimately put your team in the best position to kind of cap off those attacking uh, phases. But ultimately, you have to look at Rosaniolo as a real gem. And, you know, look, I think the Italian national team um, has also boded, uh, helped his growth tremendously well, too, because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, um, you know, responsibility that comes along with playing for the Italian national team. For him to kind of uh, be in the conversation uh, for, for the Euro roster, it speaks volumes as to the type of growth he has seen from uh, this year to uh, last year to this year. Excuse me. So I'm very pleased as 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 a Italian national team fan to see Galizaniolo and see some of these other players who are very young. But you know, you know, in in the face of adversity, in the face of uh, competition and, and stiff competition um, within the squad, they're fearless. They're not exp- afraid to express themselves in certain moments of the match. And I think Zaniolo is one of those players who, wherever he is, uh, kind of fixated. Again, I think it's kind of remains to be seen what his exact position will be. I think, you know, you probably have a different opinion of him uh, than I do about what his ideal position will be. But ultimately, I think he, he is a creative player. He's an attacking player with a lot of upside that um, both Roma fans and, and the Calcio fans should be excited about. Yeah, just, just a little, to dive a little bit deeper into sort of the... Um the stylistic side of, of Nicolo Zaniolo. Um, I mean, you mentioned Justin Clivert there. They are similar players in a sense that the way that they, they generate output on the field, whereas in terms of their physical makeup, you know, Clivert is a lot more slight and, you know, he's that, that typical tricky winger, whereas Zaniolo is a lot taller. I mean, he, he's better in the air. He's not great in the air, um, but he's but he is better. Um, I think one of the things about Zaniolo that, that really stood out for me was was how much of a good ball progressor he was. You know, he completes a lot of dribbles. That's that comes in in, in handy a lot of the time when when Roma may, might be counter attacking or simply they're just trying to get that ball out wide. Use Zaniolo as that out, outlet. Um, my my only criticism is is that he does have games where he is unplayable, but then there are other games where he's relatively anonymous. Um, which again comes with comes with the territory of him being a twenty year old creative flair player. Yeah, because uh, excellent point on Zaniolo. It's that 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 anonymous habit he gets he gets into where you know uh, as you mentioned he, he can pull off the goal like he did against Napoli where he takes that you know he kind of is finding that space he gets into that position he takes that touch and it's a world class finish and then you have other games where he's anonymous and I know there's a lot of Roma fans that I follow who would definitely speak to this and can attest to this. Um, is that it's something that comes along with um, you know the pressures and the the growing pains of a young player, right? I think you know so so far so many times we see a player like a Galexaniolo, like a Clivert, um, like a Mbappe, um, you know, do some spectacular things, and that we when they make a mistake, we still forget they that they are vulnerable and susceptible to those mistakes, despite being maybe further along than other youth players or being a, more talented than other youth players. Overall, I think when you look at Zaniolo as a player and what you can ultimately project from him, I think he has um, the ability to um, know when he needs to, again, simplify things, know when he needs to kind of slow the game down, you know, make the smart passes. And, and I think that's going to come in time, right? I think, you know, you look at a lot of the youth players when they get the ball in, 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 a, in, a, in a great attacking position, a great attacking area it's the natural instinct for you to want to score the goal or you want to be the guy that kind of creates the assist or, or makes that moment happen. 
But at the end of the day, it's all about that consistency, you know, making that play, your style of play fit seamlessly within a group of others. And I think that's something that's going to come in time with Zaniolo. And I think ultimately the, the, the fact that Paulo Fonseca is at the helm and he's kind of, um, you know, kind of put his hand, put his hands on his shoulders, and it's kind of, you know, like with Zaniolo and many other youth players, has kind of helped in that sense. And I think you know, you're starting to see guys like Clivert, guys like Pellegrini, uh, guys like Zaniolo take steps forward in their game, where they're not just a player who will have that one-off, uh, one-off spectacular man of the match performance, and then go missing in the next two or three games against both mid-table clubs and you know the the, the top six. So I think ultimately, if Roma are able to kind of you know help guide those players along in that sense and head in the same direction and, and ultimately to kind of round out the, the rough edges in their games. I think that, you know, Roma has a really good core of young players to, uh, to lean on moving forward. And I think, again, a lot can be accredited uh, to uh, the fact that Paulo Fonseca uh, has come in and I think ultimately has changed the dynamic of this club, despite some of the injuries they've dealt with. You know, you see guys like Pellegrini, you know, becoming uh, a more of a, a class player uh, as opposed to a player who has potential but is not quite fulfilling it or is not quite doing it as consistently as she, as he should. Consistency is a, is a big issue uh, and especially for for young players. I mean just as you were saying, you know, he'll he'll score in consecutive games just as he has done this season against uh, this is Agnolo by the way, uh, Milan, Udinese and Napoli scored three games in a row and you know was doing very well in in the Europa League at the same time, but then against perhaps you know a mid-table side he doesn't turn up or doesn't perform as expected and you know the, the team is sort of relying to a certain extent on which Nicolo Zaniolo turns up but he's still 20 years old he has that raw ability and you feel like that 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 sort of aspect of his game will come um, with more more experience and more game time um just before we finish up I think we've got one one more player that we want to focus on uh, together and that it's, it's another Roma player um, it's a uh, Gianluca Mancini who is very much a, a hard-headed um, central defender uh, I think you'll you'll agree with me on that one there Matt um, that he's 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 very he's a very tricky customer uh, for, for opposition attackers Absolutely. Mancini was, uh, again, another one of those, uh, you know, summer sales from Atalanta, right? Uh, everyone seems to be going to them for their shopping needs. But yeah, he joined Roma. And I think, you know, uh, given the fact that Roma sold or got not sold, but they had the uh, Cosas Manolas uh, plucked away from them. Uh, he obviously is at Napoli. They were very much leaning on a guy like Mancini to play a prominent role this season, and I think he's done it in multiple positions, which I don't think many uh, many people expected of him, right? I think you know, obviously everyone knew he was a central defender from what he was able to do last year at Atalanta and helping them get top four. But I think this year he's been somewhat like of a, a Swiss Army knife for Fonseca in the sense that he's able to play you know defensively, he's able to play as a right back, he's able to play centrally next to Fazio and you know, some of the other central defenders they got. And then he's able to slide into a defensive midfield role against uh, alongside Jordan Veritao, who is a former Premier League player. Um, and, and it really doesn't, you know, skip a beat. And I think that's a true testament to what Fonseca has done in, in, in kind of developing a lot of these players who have maybe been raw, maybe have been having some difficulty with their career, um, but, you know, kind of getting things back on track. And again, making everyone feel comfortable and kind of ultimately helping helping everyone elevate their game. And you look at the performances that Gianluca Mancini has had this entire season. Um, you know, he's he's doing everything that Roma need from him. I think he's not the, the sexy type player. That he's not going to you know be one of those uh, prolific star class star power names that you know jumps off the off the team sheet and when you're when you're looking at the match. But I think he does so many things right for you to help you win a match on a given day. And I think you know that's something that. It's going to be fascinating to see if Mancini wants to utilize, um, you know, come Euro time where 
you know, for the longest time, Italy didn't have options and they didn't have, they weren't really spoiled for choice. Now, all of a sudden, Mancini is going to have to make some tough decisions with who he chooses to bring to uh, to the Euro competition. But uh, so far, so good for Mancini. I'm very pleased with what I've seen. And I think, you know, at 23, again, there's still so much more growth. There's still so much more potential that hasn't been tapped into yet. You mentioned his versatility, uh, and I think that's a quite a, quite a big thing for, for Gianluca Mancini. It's not just his versatility in positions, it's his versatility in, in terms of who partners him in central defence. So, you, you know, you, you spoke about him playing with um, Federico Fazio, but the thing that I that I commend him for, really, is, is how well he's played with Chris Smalling. And Chris Smalling's transition to Serie A football and how well he's done, that has only been helped by, you know, how secure and how dependable Mancini's been uh, alongside him. It's, it's another stereotype of of hard-headed centre-halves, but, you know, he's good in both boxes. He pops up with the occasional goal here and there. I think it was five that he scored for Atalanta last season. Um, and I think, yes, people might draw on his disciplinary issues and, you know, that he does become a bit hot-headed sometimes, but... His feistiness, I'd say, usually manifests itself positively on the field, um, and I think you know he's really adapted well to to that to that new environment um, in in the capital. Um, yeah, very old fashioned centre back vibes. Um, you know, less of a less of a ball progressor, but he's more of sort of a what I'd describe as as a sort of a a cultural bruiser. Yeah, he's he's not so. I I wouldn't say he's a like for like with Costas Manolas, but he's been kind of that. He's been a, it's been an easy transition from Manolas to a guy like Mancini, and obviously it doesn't hurt when you have a guy like Chris Smalling, aka Smaldini, uh, kind of playing at this sort of level, which I don't think anybody expected him to be playing at. But when you have that kind of that assurance and that confidence and that balance at the back. I think everything kind of just flows through the back and, you know, the midfield kind of just flows a little bit better. And then I think when the midfield kind of flowing and it's, it's doing what it needs to be doing as a, as a well-oiled machine, the attack is only going to thrive that much for, more. And I think together as a unit, I think, you know, everything's been starting with the players at the back. And I think, you know, you can look at uh, with Smalling and what uh, Mancini have been able to accomplish. And, you know, again, of course, you know, we in this whole conversation, we haven't been speaking so much to what uh, Paulo Lopez has been able to do versus what we saw, which was the, uh, the catastrophe last year that was Robin Olsen, right? So I think yeah, having all these pieces kind of intertwined and having them all mesh and having them all play confident football, I think it ultimately is, is why we have Roma in the position that we have them in, despite some of the injuries that they've had to deal with the entire season, is that everyone's kind of been working together for that common goal. And, you know, obviously when you have, uh, you know, that veteran, you know, uh, DNA, but you also have that, that vibrant, young, uh, impressive youth, it makes for a good combination. You, it, it allows for a lot of these players to be expressive, but to also have those those senior players kind of you know kind of lend a hand and step in where they need to in those moments where uh, the youth players still are not quite uh, you know, confident in or maybe not quite as experienced in. Well, that's just about all the time that we have for this week. Um, thank you very much for listening to this uh, Serie A special episode. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I've learned a lot. Um, but we'll be back with more pod episodes in the coming weeks. Uh, all I have left to say is thank you to Matt. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and no doubt we'll be getting you back on uh, probably towards the end of the season to to give us a fuller and more in-depth roundup of, of the Serie A campaign as a, as a whole. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me, Joe. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me uh, play a part in this guy to football project.
Thank you for tuning in to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. Please do leave us a review on your selected podcast provider and do remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast um, so you don't miss out on being notified when new episodes become available. Uh, I've been Joe Donoghue, uh, joined today by Matt Santangelo. This has been a Serie A episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Bye-bye.